Hello, and welcome to The Link Podcast, the industry's link to learn, innovate, news, and knowledge in global supply chain intelligence, hosted by food logistics and supply and demand chain executive. We cover everything from transportation and warehousing trends and new technologies to food safety and sustainability impacting today's supply chains. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on the Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcast apps so you never miss an episode. My name is Brielle Jekyll, the Associate Editor here. And this week, we're discussing food sourcing from China with Xavier Navi, who has extensive experience as an entrepreneur in the agricultural space, particularly in China. His book, The Lettuce Diaries, gives us insight into what he learned from his experience in the country, from failures and successes, which helped him develop new strategies and leadership skills. I ask him all about the industry and learn what advice he has to share. So let's link into that conversation now. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining the program today. I am here with a very special expert, Javier, and we are talking about um, China and agriculture and food sourcing, and I'm really excited to talk about this subject today. Hi, Javier. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Brielle. Yeah. So um, you've spent a lot of time in China, and you know a lot about the agriculture there, and I just really wanted, can you give me like a little bit of your experience in China? Yeah, so I'm French and I came to China in 97 as a, as a finance guy um, for, for a multinational in the catering sector. And two years later, I built, I started a company called Creative Food. And that's the subject of my book that made um, shredded lettuce to put in the burger of uh, KFC's uh, chicken burgers in China. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning it was a small business, but it turned into quite a big company. Um, today, the company serves 5,000 fast food chains in China. It's got nine factories, 2,000 employees, and uh, it's sourcing from 30,000 villagers, farmers, uh, you know, not directly, but indirectly in China. So if you go to China and you eat a sandwich at Starbucks or a burger at KFC or a soup at Pizza Hut, it's likely that you're eating the product that my company made in China. Right. It's interesting how, you know, people don't really understand that that things can come from that far away. And so I know a lot of people are really, really surprised by some of the shortages because they don't understand. Um, but, but can you tell me something that maybe you learned about food sourcing and uh, logistics from China? Oh, okay. Just to be clear, Brielle, uh, I was sourcing in China uh, vegetables in China for KFC, McDonald's, Starbucks, Pizza Hut in China. Uh, uh, You you can't really move uh, fresh lettuce uh, from the U.S. to China. Uh, And the U.S. is way more competitive in that area than than China is. So so just to answer your question on, on the on food sourcing from China, it's interesting because it's been changing a lot over the past decade. Um, and, you know, China was known to be the factory of the world in, in all categories of product. And in the food sector, China was taking advantage of um, low labor cost to do all sorts of uh, food processing or reprocessing to re-export to the rest of the world. So, for example, um, half of the imports of uh, foods from China in the U.S., were frozen fish 
And the fish was not caught in China. It was caught all over the world, but it was shipped to China, reprocessed, cut, sliced, and reshipped to the U.S. Um, so the food import from China to the U.S. is a relatively small market. It's around $5 billion, and it's flat for the past 10 years. Uh, five, six years ago, China turned into a net importer of food, and uh, it's a much bigger market. So uh, today, China import $25 billion worth of food from the U.S. So if you, if you want to look at the dynamics, the exports of food from China to the U.S. or the rest of the world is relatively small. It's around $70 billion, and it's, um, and it's flat, while the import of food inch into China from the rest of the world is a much bigger number. It's around $133 billion, and it's growing very fast. The reason for that is that Chinese consumer habits are changing. So it's it's moving from this low-cost processing platform for the rest of the world to a consumer market where people have different needs. They want natural food, they want fresh ingredients, they want premium foods, they're more careful about their health, and they're willing to pay higher prices. So how is the country modernizing to really fit those needs? So I'll talk about the food sector in particular because this is this is really what I know. Um, you know, Ch- China. You want to understand the structure of, of food production in China. It's much more fragmented than in the U.S. It's far less industri- industrial. So China had in the early '80s, China had 85 percent of its population in the countryside in rural regions. Uh, so essentially, it had a billion farmers in China. Um, Today, uh, urbanization has increased a lot, um, and you still you only have 37% of the population in rural region, but it's still 500 million people, So, which means that you've got relatively small farm size compared to the U.S. Um, in certain industries like um, animal husbandry, like poultry production or pig raising or dairy farming, it's modernized very fast because you can build industrial uh, operations by investing capital and technology, and after all the food safety scandals of the um, of ten years ago, they've reacted very fast and they've modernized very fast. Today, if you go to a Chinese dairy farm producing uh, in a modern way, um, and they make up seventy percent of the volume produced in China today, uh, it's it's a um, space shuttle. It looks like a space shuttle. It's very modern. Uh, I would argue that. In that area, it's more modern than many farms I've seen in the U.S. because they have no legacy to deal with. They just built it from from scratch 10 years ago, um, and they've been very efficient. So there's two types of operation. In animal husbandry, you've got fast modernization, very very um, uh, uh, cutting-edge operations. Um, And in uh, uh, produce, fruit, uh, vegetable, you've got more... Uh, family farms, uh, they're growing in size and people are be- becoming more professional, but it's still much more fragmented than what you have in the U.S. where most of the production is concentrated in California. How do you think the pandemic has changed things for food sourcing, like moving forward, like in the years to come? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. Uh, you know, China has shut down the country from February 2020 to May uh, 2020, roughly. So for, for these three months, there was essentially nothing happening. Um, but uh, very quickly after that, they uh, 
they gain control of the situation in a much better way than we did here. And, uh, and they've been operating nearly normally uh, since May 2020. So if you look at um, uh, Apple concentrate imports into the U.S., which is, a, I think China makes up two-thirds of the Apple concentrate imported into the U.S., it's, uh, it's surged um, in the later part of 2020. So after the shutdown in China, it just went back to normal with a catch-up effect. Um, so I don't see major disruption from the pandemic in China, except for the fact that every time there's a flare-up, what China does really well is uh, circumventing the, the, the problem by shutting down the, the region where uh, there's a flare-up and testing everybody for a couple of weeks. So when that happens, that creates disruption in the ports uh, where the goods are shipped from. Uh, but it, but within China, people have been traveling completely normally since May 2020. Do you feel like this kind of major event and disruption uh, in the area and in food sourcing has changed, is going to change people's strategies for the future? So do I think that uh, this type of major uh, uh, world event changes consumer habits in China or changes the way American uh, importers are buying food from China? Both, I would say. <laughs> so, I mean, if you look at consumers in China, um, they're, and, and clearly, as I said, this is the trend. This is increasing. They're buying more from the rest of the world. And um, there, there's no change. There's just an increased sensation that they want better quality food from better regions of the world, uh, healthy food, more premium food. As an example, um, you'd be surprised in the current geopolitical context that uh, beef exports from the U.S. to China have exploded uh, because U.S. beef is considered there's been a change of regulation as part of the Trump agreement on phase one. Uh, but U.S. beef is considered a higher quality than any other beef. So it's exploded. It's still small, but it's, it's exploded. It's from, so from the Chinese consumer point of view, there's no change. Uh, life is normal. They're spending more. Uh, they're very confident in the future. And they're going to buy more and more of foods from the rest of the world. From a sourcing point of view, I guess that as an importer today, I would look at the situation and say, China is not anymore the low-cost country that it used to be. Um, because consumers are making more money, labor costs becomes more expensive. So you've got a good infrastructure for fish reprocessing, for uh, all sorts of vegetable and fruit ingredients that go into uh, instant soups or yogurts, for example, and it's very professional. Uh, but it, you know, it's going to become increasingly expensive. So the future is less about sourcing food from China and it's more about exporting food to China. So it's flipping. Yes. So I know that a lot of people are interested in near sourcing here, but you would say that that's not the case in China. Well, you've got major uh, categories of product like uh, apple. Uh, concentrate, apple juice concentrate, frozen vegetables uh, that are operating at scale in China. They're very competitive. But as the country develops, modernize, these are all very labor-intensive uh, categories. So uh, either they robotize the process um, or uh, uh, sourcing will have to come from somewhere. Remember, the, the total imports of food from China into the U.S. is $5 billion dollars. The total export of food from the U.S. to China is five times that. Wow. And the exports are increasing 
20% per year and the imports are flat. That's not something I would have thought would be happening right now. Yeah, that's quite interesting because um, if you take in the past six months, um, uh, the Texas uh, beef board was saying that their export to China have multiplied by 13. Uh, same for the dairy board in the US. Dairy export to China have exploded. I know it was growing because I covered a, an article about how cold chain solutions needed to be ramped up for overseas travel, which is, you know, in the past, it wasn't as much cold chain, it was more dry storage. Um, but I just did not understand the gravity of the growth. That's really incredible. Yeah, you know, what I say to people is when you think of China, think of the consumer market. Now, when you think of the consumer market, the largest in the world is the U.S. market. Now, think of China. It's the U.S. market time four. So they don't have the same uh, spending capabilities per capita, uh, but it's increasing very fast. I think in Shanghai, salary increase over the past 10 years have been an average of 8 to 10% per year. Um, I guess that not many people in the U.S. can claim that kind of salary increase. That's for sure correct. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and, and giving all your insight on this. It's definitely an interesting concept right now. Um, but that is all I have time for today. Um, I would love to reconnect with you in the future um, and bring you on more episodes. Thank you very much, Brielle. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and tune in every Tuesday for our episodes of Link by a food logistics and supply and demand chain executive. If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a thumbs up or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Brielle for more of what's happening in the supply chain. And do not forget to hit subscribe on the Spotify, Apple, and Google playlist apps so you never miss an episode. <laughs>